morning scripture reading, and thankfully, I want you to think about this, we just sang that song, you know, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, and there were times when Daniel did stand alone, but there were times when he had others who stood with him, and we need to be sure that we take advantage, we have opportunity right now, we can stand together, all right, we have people to stand with, sometimes out there in the workforce or wherever, sometimes we might end up being all by ourselves, within a crowd of lions or wolves, and we need to be able to stand alone and stand, actually we never stand alone, right? When we stand for God, with God, He's with us, always, all the time. So, uh, Acts chapter 5, and we're going to, to answer the question, um, actually it was two weeks ago, I asked the question, is it ever right to disobey the government? And go, oh, yes, of course it is. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. Uh, today, people, especially Americans, are just too quick, man, to grab something and run with it. And we need to be sure that we're governed, I use that word advisedly, governed by the scriptures. And really, our situation today is not much different. I, I just can't help. Maybe someday I'll, I'll do a mess on that. But the situation in the first century the Christians under the Roman government, it's so much like our situation. And so what God said then is applies now, all right? And perhaps even more so because they were living. All right, so Acts chapter 5, you've got your place. And let's just, I want to just read a couple of verses. We've read this passage already. But verse 27, and this is the, the, this is the religious leaders. And again, I mentioned this, I think, last Sunday, that the situation in that day was a little bit unique because the religious authorities, if you want to call them that, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, so on, you know, they had a certain amount of political authority as well as religious authority. That's just how it was. And even under the Roman government, even though their authority was somewhat limited, yet the, you know, the emperor and the governors and so on, they did give the Jewish leaders a little bit of authority. And so they exercised that uh, as much as they could. And so they're doing that here. Verse 27, and when they, that is the council, the Jewish leaders, had brought them, that's the apostles, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. By the way, the same ones who said, his blood be upon us, there before Pilate. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for an opportunity to look into thy word, and I'm especially thankful that you have given us the word of God to, to direct every area of our lives. Help us today. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit in bringing forth the Word of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, I want us to notice that there is there are two commands that are given in this passage of Scripture. Um, before we look at those specifically, remember, just before the Lord Jesus Christ went back to heaven, he gave this command to his apostles, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That literally means every part of creation. And therefore, of course, the goal is to reach every human being, to get the gospel 
to every person all over the world. All right. So there was that. And then in Acts chapter number four, let's take a look at chapter four. Yes, we're going to go back just a little bit. Acts chapter four, verse eighteen. This is really the first time um, after Christ went back to heaven that they, they were told they were threatened because of preaching the gospel. Verse 18, we'll pick it up there. And they called them, again, the same leaders, and commanded them, all right? Commanded them, didn't suggest, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus, all right? Just hold that. Now, Acts chapter 5, we have a command, Acts chapter 5, verse 19. Acts chapter 5, verse 19. But the angel of the Lord, this is after they're put in prison, the apostles. But the angel of the Lord, by night, opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. All right, let's go down to, again, verse 27. Well, verse 28, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And so we have here, we have Christ gave a command to the apostles. The leader said, don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. Put him in prison. The, an angel of the Lord came and opened the doors and said, go preach. Then we have verse 28. The leader said, don't preach. So obviously you've got two clear-cut commands. God says, preach. The authorities say, don't preach. And later, and again, this is not really that relevant for this message, but this is the Jewish authorities. And then later, the opposition came from Rome. Right? We really don't see that in the book of Acts it's because it kind of came later in the history of in the first century when the emperors began to say, you need to worship me and our gods and not Christ. You cannot... And so that's how Paul ended up being executed because he kept on preaching. So, number one, when, when, when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God, it's right to disobey the government. All right? If they say, don't preach, we must preach. All right? Let's see what happens further in Acts chapter 5. Again, they're commanded, don't preach, and they're going to... And it's interesting, is it not... You know, and here's an example. The Bible says that we're to be instant, in season, be ready always. And so let's go back, Acts chapter 5 again. And they said, don't preach. And Peter, verse 29, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, all right, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Now, what I love about that is that this is how, how instantly and how quickly the apostles were ready to give the gospel to defend their faith. They just right away just came right, they came up right out with an answer. And whether they were recognizing it or not, though Jesus had promised his disciples that when these times came. They didn't need to think about what to answer because the Holy Ghost will give you the answer, the words to say. And he did. Right. Now, then there, it says in verse 33, when they heard that, they, that is these leaders, 
were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So they're going to kill them. Then Gamaliel, a respected Jewish leader, he gives counsel not to do anything, just let it alone. Right? So, let's see what happens. They continue preaching. Turn over back, back a page to Acts chapter 4. Maybe a couple pages. I want you to notice they were given a command. Let's see how they responded. What was the apostles' response? Chapter 4, uh, they said, in verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether, he, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now I think that's an interesting perspective there. And the apostles didn't say, you scumbags, you scoundrels, we'll do it. You know, you, don't, you can't tell us what to do. All right? Like so many Christians talk about the government here in this country today. But they said no. They put it, they, they very kindly but very clearly put it back in their court, right? They said, you know, whether, whether it's right, whether God would have us listen to you more than him, you, that's your, you know, that's your, that's your judgment. You, you, you have the authority to make the, the judgment, and you really need to make the judgment. The idea is challenge them, make a judgment. For we cannot but speak, you know, we can't help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. And then they further threaten them. Verse 21, they let them go. All right, let's go over to chapter 5. What do they do? <clears throat> they continue preaching. They preach. Okay. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 5. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to preach and teach and preach Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Where were they arrested? They were arrested in the temple. Where did they preach? They went back to the temple and they preached. They didn't go underground. And I, I met some guys from Europe, and they said, no, we hate that term, underground church. There, there's no such thing. We meet. We meet. Now, we try to you know, get away from the authorities that we can, but we're not hiding our faith. Anyway, now, not only did they continue to preach, they rejoiced in suffering. Back up to verse 40, Acts 5, 40. And to him, they agreed. That is, Gamaliel. They said, yeah, we'll take, we agree with that. We'll let him go. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, so they couldn't resist that, you know, and, and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they really didn't listen to Gabriel a whole lot, right? They just, they said, yeah, well, that's all right. We'll let them go. They had to beat on them for a while and then command not to, not to speak. Verse 41, now notice this response. This is what sets these kind of Christians apart from most believers, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Somehow, we Christians, we, we, want, we, we want to avoid all suffering. You know, and we may be called upon to suffer for the Lord, all right? You know, I hear people talk, and I've got some grandkids here today, and I hear people talk about, oh, they're so concerned about the world that our grandchildren are going to grow up in. You know what I'm concerned about? That our grandchildren won't have the courage to stand up. That's my main concern. Not whether they're going to be able to do this and do that and do everything. You know, are they going to have the courage to stand? But we're going to have the courage to stand for the Lord. Well, so they said that they counted, they counted, they rejoiced. They were counted worthy. 
to suffer shame for his name. Apparently not every Christian is considered worthy. Right? I wonder what's going to happen if persecution comes in our country. Who's going to stand? Who's not? And daily in the temple, in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So the principle here is we must continue to proclaim the word of God no matter who opposes us. Right? We, have that, we have that authority and responsibility from the scriptures. Right? Now, how about, let's go back to Daniel chapter 3. Take a look at another time when <clears throat> we have the right, and I use that word, I really don't like the word right because it has so many misconceptions today. The Bible really doesn't have much to say about rights. It has all, everything to say about responsibilities. So we have a responsibility when it comes to worship. Right? And that's, well, we've seen a little bit of that. Now, we, we really have that. Nobody's come to our parking lot. No cops have showed up to see if we're wearing masks and if we, how many people we have and all those kinds of things. And I, I know that the local police, anyway, one of them... The, the man, you know, he's very sympathetic to our to our cause. We've talked about him a number of times. But anyway, he's not saved yet. Hope he will get saved. But he's very he's very considerate of our, of our church and everything. In fact, he drives by sometimes to make sure everything's all right. But anyway, so um, but some places are all right. California, for example, we talked about that a little bit. Sunday school, you know, uh, they, the churches out there were basically ordered to stop. I mean, you know, Governor Wolf made some. Strong recommendations, and we followed some of those because I didn't see it as a matter of, of whether we had to obey God rather than men, because we're talking about you know the you know the sickness and, and all that kind of thing and potential dangers. I understand all that, but they went way beyond that out in the state of California. They threatened to arrest and fine. I met a pastor in September from California. His church was being threatened. I forget how much it was. They had something like. $30,000 in threatened fines if they, if they even met together um, and all those kinds of things. And Anyway, but they, they continue to meet. They continue to worship. And that, the thing is, the, the government out there actually tried to infringe and tell them what they could and couldn't do as far as worshiping. And they finally came out with that ridiculous thing that they couldn't sing. And I thought, that's weird, but other countries have done that too. In fact, we read, I think it was, uh, we read a letter a couple here a week or so ago um, from one of our missionaries, and they're asking us to pray. It was the um, accurates down in Ecuador. They're not allowed to sing down there. The kids can't come. People over 65 can't come. So that, a lot of us would have to stay home if we were down there. But anyway, so, you know, people have different systems of government and so on, and, have to, and people have to figure out perfectly and scripturally you know, what to do when well, the churches in California respectfully decided to continue meeting. And I say respectfully. I heard some of the things that, that they sent and the communications between them and the officials and so forth. Well, so, um, really, again, we could say that according to our Constitution of the United States, the government does not have a right to, or the authority to, to dictate anything to churches. And that's nice. That's a nice principle. But that doesn't mean that we're always going to have that freedom. I mean, they can force us. They could. They've got the power. 
And folks, I'm not going to stand at the church door with, a, with a, an assault rifle and get as many of them before they get me. That, I've heard Christians talk like that. That's not right. That's not biblical. And I'm, but I'm not going to do that. All right? But in the case of worshiping God, all right, if they threaten us, they threaten Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I shouldn't say they. He threatened, right? King Nebuchadnezzar. You know the story. Daniel chapter number three. Uh, Daniel's was he was a captive. <clears throat> he was a teenager. He and several others, hundreds according to King, Second Kings and Second Chronicles, were carried away to Babylon. And we don't hear too much about many of them. We do hear about Daniel. We hear about his three friends. We hear about Jeremiah. Actually, he never he was he was allowed to stay in Jerusalem or that area. But Ezekiel was one of the captives. We, we read about them. But in chapter number 3, Nebuchadnezzar, he made this image, right? Verse number 1, height thereof was three square cubits, in other words, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide at the bottom. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Again, I'm not going to read a lot of the scripture because you know the story. He got the orchestra together and said that <clears throat> when you hear the sound of the music, you know, when the prelude starts playing, <laughs> bow down and worship this image. And of course, there was a there was a penalty, right? There was a penalty attached to that. Whoever would not worship would be cast into the burning to the to the fiery furnace. Already, right, he did all that. And that was all set up. And so the music played, and everybody bowed down. Well, everybody except three. Doesn't say anything if there were others who didn't bow, but these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, didn't bow down. Right. Now, something that, that I think adds a little bit to the story, the record is, that the king was familiar with these three young men. In fact, they had been promoted. Look at the last chapter, verse of chapter 2. Then Daniel requested the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. And that had to do with, with Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interpreted. And because, of his, you know, because he was so thankful for the interpretation, he promoted Daniel. And then he, Daniel requested for his three friends, and they also got promoted. So they were known in the kingdom. In fact, chapter 2 says they were, they were, they proved to be the best of all the captives. Yeah, there's a whole lot more in that. They, the king wanted to, you know, make Babylonians out of them. So that's why he changed their names and all that. But, but they were already known as the best of the best. In fact, when, when Nebuchadnezzar, again, a little history, when Nebuchadnezzar sent his armies to Jerusalem, he said, look for the best young people and bring them. So I can teach them the ways of the Chaldeans. And so they brought hundreds. And so these guys are known. Right? But so they, they were accused, verse 13, how quickly things changed. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, by the way, he wasn't known as a calm individual, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, under them is a true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, in other words, everything will be fine, I'm going to give you another chance. 
But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast into the same, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And this was the best thing Nebuchadnezzar could have done. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Why do I say that? When you read, even if I didn't know the, the chapter already, didn't know how it turned out, when I read, when I read, if I had read those words, never read them before, I'd have known that it would have turned out good for the three Hebrews. Because you don't challenge the God of heaven and win. All right. And so I remember that back in the Gulf War was already started that. Uh, Saddam Hussein made the comment, and I heard him, I guess through an interpreter or whatever, he made the comment that we will win because Allah is greater than the God of Israel. And I just said, God, praise the Lord. Now we know what the outcome is going to be. You don't challenge the God of heaven and get away with it. So this is the, great, this is the best thing Nebuchadnezzar could have done. He didn't, I mean, he didn't know what he was saying at the time. Who is that God? So, so we have a situation here. Pretty clear, right? Three men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, raised under the law of Moses, the law of God, which says, only worship the Lord thy God, nobody else. And here the king says, you, you have to worship this image. And they said, look at verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, and can we stop for a moment? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, respect. Respect. See, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we, we have no anxiety. We have no, we have no need to consider, to study, um, to think about what we're going to answer. It's really the same kind of word that's used in Philippians where it says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be fretful, don't be worrisome, don't be anxious. And they said, we just thought, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have to think about this at all. I love what they said. If it be so, if it's part of God's plan, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O King. We don't have a care in the world about this. We know our God's able. But if not, in other words, if God decides to let us burn, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Right? He was just in fury. In 13, now he's full of it full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, his whole face, his whole countenance. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. So heat it up, man, seven times hotter. I mentioned again last week, I don't know if that's possible, but he said, do it! Burn them! You know, get to there. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fire furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and other garments. I mean, he said, Dude, I want to get rid of everything. And were cast into the midst of the burning fire furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, 
And the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire, slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he was even willing to sacrifice his best soldiers. That's kind of guy, kind of a, a man, Nebuchadnezzar was. And they fell down. Verse 23, obviously, they threw them in, and they're, they're going down. Verse 24, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar praised the Lord, he saw four people. He saw four men. And they're loose. So the words the four, the three men were bound, and they're all they're loose, and everybody's loose, all four are loose. He said, the fourth one, he, he's, he's like the Son of God. When thou passest through the fire, I'll be with thee. Isaiah chapter 43. That's what he said to his people. And here he is. The Lord, he's with them. Literally, he's right there with them in the fire. And that would be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus there. Alright, so, and just praise God. I mean, I just like to sit here for a while and uh, just think about that. Just think about what the Lord did. Think about his power. I mean, fire, fire is nothing for God. And so, then Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, it's interesting that there are times when God sent fire that nothing could quench. And here's man's fire, doesn't do anything to the Lord, nor his people, nor his servant. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. Again, notice, notice that. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes the God of Israel, the God of his fellows, to be the Most High God. And most, probably I think all pagan religions, they recognize there's a God somewhere that's bigger than all the rest, but they can't, you can't know Him, and all that sort of thing. Well, and he recognized that these are the servants. These three young men are servants of the Most High God. And what if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been like a lot of Christians today, I'm so sorry, okay, thank you for the second chance, we'll bow down, God, please forgive us. They didn't do that. They stood up for the Lord. I'm not being, I don't mean sarcastically, but I wonder how many believers would do that. Sorry, my bad. And, you know, and would secretly. I read an article one time, God has no secret agents. But anyway, that's, that, but anyway, these guys did not do that. They stood up, and now their faith is being greatly rewarded. So, he comes to them, come forth and come hither, verse 26, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Benio came forth, of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, captains, counselors, which gathered, being gathered together, in other words, the whole group, saw these men. Saw these men. Saw these men. Upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Why did I say that three times? Because that's exactly what God wanted to have happen. God wanted the Babylonians to see those three men. You know, we used to think about, there's a verse in Psalm 40, where David says, He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall... You know what the next word is? You would think it'd be here, but it's not. In Psalm 40, it's see. Many shall see. 
it and she'll turn to you. What does he mean by that? It, because when God did what he did for David, people would see the effect on his life and they'd see his testimony. You got If you want to be a testimony, have a testimony, you have to be seen. A testimony is nothing. It's not, it's not a testimony if it's not seen. They saw these men, but notice what they saw. Upon whose bodies, you know, their body, the fire had no power. Okay? Nor was the hair of their head had singed. And I've had experience getting too close when I'm burning papers or something. And, ooh, what's that smell? Oh, it's your hair singing, buddy. Anyway, uh, nor, uh, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So that there was no effect of the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. In other words, they, they, God overturned the king's word. And really the word translated change here is almost it's like the word frustrated the king's word. This God didn't allow his intention to come to pass. He's burning them. They're dead. He's burning them. Later on in chapter 5, the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar by David, whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. So Nebuchadnezzar was, he was, that, that was his practice. You dead, you live. So it didn't work this time. Now, Notice what it says, they changed the king's word and yielded their bodies. Romans 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every nation, every people, nation, and language who speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sword. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So the king said, Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Then he says, There is no other God that can deliver after the sword. And no, all right, now, so the principle is we must continue to worship only the Lord our God, no matter who opposes us. Now, I don't know if anybody here said this, if you did it, I don't mean to be um, critical or anything like that, but I did hear people say they compared wearing a mask to bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. Folks, there's no similarity whatsoever. And I heard one person put it on Facebook, or saw it on Facebook, Daniel, they didn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm not bowing down to Governor Wolf, I'm not wearing a mask. It's not, not even remotely the same thing. We're talking about a minor inconvenience here that may, you know, may help to save lives. I don't know, you don't know, we don't know all the facts, but this is a whole different story, all right? But then, so, I just want to, I want to say that, don't compare things that don't, that don't deserve to be compared, because they really don't. Now, Daniel chapter 6 is another one, very familiar story in the Bible, very familiar occurrence. And by the way, this is, Nebuchadnezzar is gone from the scene by now. Darius is, Darius, 
But I would encourage you um, to go back home, and if you can't really this afternoon, whatever, as soon as possible, get your Bible out again and read Daniel chapter 4. Because Daniel chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony of what God did in his life. And I've often said this, and I really believe it's true, and I'm thankful for the fact that the book of Daniel is not just about Daniel and his three friends and the captivity of Judah and the visions. All those things are great and they're wonderful. But you know, one of the themes of the book of Daniel is God changing the heart of a pagan king. And Daniel, Daniel showing mercy. Daniel being so gracious to King Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 2, read that too, and read chapter 4, because what happens in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about the future. That's a, that's a, whole, that's a great, great, just a wonderful thing to conceive. That the Nebuchadnezzar was on his bed one night, and he's wondering what's going to happen in the future, and God gave him a dream to tell him. And of course, he didn't have any clue what the dream was, so Daniel explained it. Then in chapter 4, the king has another dream. And Daniel interprets that dream. And the dream in chapter 4 is that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be driven from his kingdom. And so after Daniel gives the interpretation, he begs the king, read it for yourself. He begged the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, please listen to me and break off your sins and, and be by righteousness and show mercy. And if you do that, perhaps God will lengthen your tranquility and so on. And apparently he did that for a while because 12 months later is when Nebuchadnezzar brags again and, and God... God brings the judgment upon him. But the thing about that is that Daniel's attitude, all right, chapter 6 of Daniel. Daniel's attitude of respect for a heathen king. And heathen kings, because in the, in the sixth chapter, let's give just a little background here, starting verse 1, it pleased Darius. All right? Darius, Darius the Mede, took the kingdom. The last verse of chapter 5, Babylon is now conquered. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar had long passed from the scene. His son and his grandson had been king. And now the Medes come and conquer it, the Medes and the Persians. And now Darius is king. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, the provinces of Medo-Persia, and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princess might give account to them, account to them, and the king, the king should have no damage, obviously to prevent, to protect the king from any uprisings. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole world. So why would Daniel, why was he preferred? Why was he first among the presidents? Because the king's, the king's perception was he has an excellent spirit. Now, an excellent spirit concerning what? Well, God. Okay, yeah. He said, we, will, we, won't, you know, we won't defile ourselves. We'll back in chapter 1. Daniel was faithful to his God. Honestly, I don't think the king cared much about that. Darius, at this point, didn't care much about God. So what was he talking about? He was talking about Daniel's excellent spirit in the kingdom. 
submitting to the king and, and being a good ruler and all those kinds of things. And I mean, he was put in that position. Now, let's see. How, should, should we... Should, what do we think about that? Is that right? Was the, was the excellent spirit more about his kingdom relationship? Well, let's see, verse 4. Then the presidents, that is the other two, and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Now, is that like anything today? You ever, ever hear of anybody being appointed to office and, and everybody's trying to dig up dirt? And they'll invent some of isn't they? But they couldn't. They could find none occasion or fault. What? They couldn't find one thing in Daniel's life where, at least pertaining to the king, the kingdom, and all the, and the responsibility, the position that Daniel had, no fault. He didn't take any bribes. He didn't have any, you know, affairs. He, he didn't steal. He didn't cheat anybody. You know, he didn't go behind the king's back. You know, and all those things. No, he was faithful. Faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. All right? So they gave up. So, well, we're, we can't. No, they didn't. Verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And so then they came up with that plan. A plot. They conspired to get the king to sign a decree that nobody can pray to God or anybody else for 30 days. Every request had to come to the king. And the king signed it. Plus, the penalty connected was, if anybody breaks that 30-day decree, he shall be cast into the lions. Last part, verse 7. And they've said, oh, King Darius, live forever, verse 6, flattery and all that sort of thing. All the presidents. No, not really. Two out of three is a majority, but it's not all. Anyway, so, verse 9, wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the, the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Remember, this was God's, this was Daniel's practice. This was his life. Three times a day. Kneeled and kneeled. His windows opened toward Jerusalem. You know why that was? Because God had said way back in Chronicles that when captivity comes, when the enemy defeats you, if you will pray toward this city and toward this house, and the temple was gone at this time, then I will hear. So Daniel's doing everything he possibly can to honor God, to follow God, to follow the word of God, even as far as praying toward Jerusalem. So he did it. Now notice he did it, he did it as he did aforetime. So this was, Daniel didn't say, man, wow, this, um, what am I going to do? I've never been once in a prayer before. No, he didn't do that. And then, listen, the worst, the worst kind of pray, prayers are the ones that only pray when there's some kind of crisis. Oh, we need you, God. People are saying, where's God? Well, he's right, I'm sorry, where's God? He's right where America wants him to be, out of the picture, so to speak. He's really not. But so, he did the same thing. Now notice, 
This was just what these guys were looking for. Verse 11, then these men assembled and got together, and they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king. Obviously, they reminded the king about his decree, and nothing could change him. All right? And then they said, verse 13, Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, or, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Now can I say something here? By the way, it wasn't Daniel who had no regard for the king. It was these princes and presidents that had no regard for the king. They didn't care about the king. They wanted to advance themselves and get rid of Daniel. Nothing, nothing about the king. All right? But Daniel really did. Daniel did care. Let's see what happens here. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with Daniel. Right? No. Himself. They got me. I mean, I can just picture their eyes. Man. Oh, I should have known. I should have known something was up. Oh, Daniel would never agree to anything like this. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Or my favorite name for myself, Dumbbell. Um, he regardeth not. So the kid, he's, he's sore displeased with himself. Oh, man. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to the earth. He's looking for any kind of a precedent, any kind of a law, anything that where he could where he could alter, where he could overturn. The decree. Well, he, he wouldn't do that for just anybody. But so there's the, the relationship that Daniel and this king had. And so then these men assembled again. Boy, the right to assemble unto the king. And said unto the king, No, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. King, remember, king, it's your law. Oh, boy. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. So, see, Daniel, his testimony was very much apparent. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. So none of the things that a king would do to, to soothe himself and help himself sleep, he didn't, he didn't take, take any of those things. Couldn't sleep. He fasted. I don't know if he prayed. Maybe he did. Maybe he prayed in his, in his own way. I don't know. But... He was very concerned. Verse 19, And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. Can you just imagine the king? I can't wait anymore. He jumps up and he runs to the den and he says, Oh, Daniel, oh, the servant of the living God is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions. Then said Daniel unto the king, and I paused just to be funny. I'm sure Daniel said, I'm going to make him sweat for a while. No, he, he says, O king, live forever. You see, it's not 
what you say, it's how you say it. Because those scoundrels that wanted to get rid of Daniel, they said, O king, live forever. But Daniel meant, Daniel said, O king, O king, live forever. What, what does that, what does it mean? What, what, when he said that, what did that portray? First of all, respect for the king. And an attitude of submission to the king. Do you think Daniel liked the law? I mean, he probably thought it was pretty cool spending the night with lions and that they couldn't even, they couldn't bite him if they wanted to, because God shut said an angel shut their mouths. I remember coming home from school when I was a kid and, and Art Lake letters used to be out in the afternoon. Some of you ancient dinosaurs you might remember Art Lake letter, and he and, and he, he used to ask them questions about the Bible. Remember that? And one day they asked him, why did the lions eat Daniel? And one little boy said, because he wasn't juicy. <laughs> I remember that. And, uh, they talked about Jonah. They, they, all, the, all the Bible stories. And then, anyway, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't because Daniel was, you know, he wasn't 90 years old probably. He might have been tried up. But anyway, um, wasn't anything wrong with lions. We'll see in a minute. He said, oh, king, live forever. So he's, he's, he's showing his, his respect and his love for the king. And he's also... Understanding. I mean, under he understood. Yes, Darius got fooled. He made a foolish decision. He shouldn't have done it. But he realized that kings are not perfect. Kings are human. Kings make mistakes. And he wanted the king to know that he was not holding any of this against the king. Right? Here's what he says. My God, my God, hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. So here Daniel says, my, my testimony, my conscience is clear. I'm innocent before God. I'm innocent before thee, O king. And God has rewarded me for that. Then was the king exceeding glad for him. Commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no man of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Right, that's not the end of it, right? Just like Nebuchadnezzar, that he just didn't say, okay, guys, come on out of the furnace, and let's be done with it. Let's, let's put this all behind us. No, he didn't do that. He made a decree. Here the king says, Then came Darius, or verse 24, And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. There was a gravity on the way before they even hit the bottom. They had nothing wrong with the lions. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. Wow, what a statement about God. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. All right. So, by the way, Daniel's, there's a Daniel listed among the ones who went back to Judah. I, I see no reason to think that that was this Daniel, even though he might have been close to 100 years old. God, God uh, preserved him. All right, now, I kind of jokingly said about the right to assemble. Now, we have that. We can, we can assemble, we, we can do that, but we need to do it very peacefully. And I think Daniel and his, is a good example of what it means to, to show the proper respect for those in authority 
and yet stand in truth. Daniel prayed, all right? The three Hebrew children refused to bow. So the principle is we must continue to pray, remain faithful in prayer, no matter who opposes us. Right? I was, I'm old enough to remember when we used to read the Bible in school and pray, say a hymn, and I remember in third grade our teacher came in and said, I can't do it anymore because the Supreme Court just ruled that prayer and Bible reading in school, public school, is unconstitutional. And this dear teacher said this, I'll never forget it, I might someday. Um, she said, the government is wrong. The Supreme Court is wrong. And it's going to be, it's going to be a bad thing for our country. She said, I want you boys, you boys and girls to understand if you have a Bible, bring it to school and read it on your spare time, pray in your spare time, and because the government's taking away what we need the most. I'll never fall. Oh, that was a tremendous speech by that lady. I wish I could remember who it was, but I can't. Um, anyway, so they've done that. Will there come a day when the government will pass a law that you cannot pray in America? I sure hope not. What if they do? Well, that's hiding their closet. No, we should do what Daniel did. Open our windows and, you know, and pray. So, again, Daniel was delivered. Now, I want to read one more passage quickly. Thanks for your attention, and I promise I won't take much longer, but Hebrews 11, I want you to notice this, what it says here. Because we realize that God did a great thing for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by they went into the furnace, yes we did, they went into the, fur- into the furnace, they came out of it, they were okay, they came out of it, and certainly their, their, their faith in God was strengthened, their relationship with God, their fellowship was, was greater, I'm sure it was between, between themselves. You know, Daniel went into the den, he came out okay, he came out unscathed, and I'm sure it made a, made, made a great impact on his life, certainly on the kingdom, certainly on the kings. But I want us to notice something in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Because there's all kinds of names. We're not going to take a look at any of those names. But all these um, heroes and heroines of the faith. When, then we get down to verse, um, let's, let's go to verse 3, not 34, about, um, 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Daniel, Quench the glance of fire, shadows of Bendigo, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, Samson, wax valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Elisha and Elijah both did that for, for women. And others, here we go, others, other heroes, other great people of the faith were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder. By the way, history tells us that's what happened to the prophet Isaiah, that King Manasseh had him sawed in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And so it is today in parts of the world. Christians are being tortured. They're being imprisoned. They're being slaughtered. So they're less, they're less, right, than Daniel. They're less heroic, yeah, heroic, 
than Daniel and the two boys? No, they're not. God had a different outcome. We leave it with Him. He always wants to leave the outcome with God. And these people, there's many, and I can put a few names in here, but whenever anybody stands for God, they're a hero or a herald of faith. I heard a preacher say years ago, and it struck me, and I never forgot it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the victory was not when they came out of the furnace, it was when they went in. And Daniel's victory was not when he came out of the lion's den, but when he went in. He was willing to stand for God. In all three incidents today, men of God were given a command that was in direct opposition to what God's word clearly commands his people to do. Don't preach, God said preach. Don't worship the image, only worship God, God said. Don't pray, pray, the Bible says. <clears throat> In all three incidents, God's men were faithful to the Lord and obeyed God rather than men. In all three incidents, there was a price to be paid for obedience to God's word. There was a price. There was a price. With the apostles, it was beating. And some of them were executed. Um, again, I forgot to do this. I'll try to do it for next week. I'll make a little, I have a little uh, brief history of the 12 apostles um, and how what happened to them. I think I'll put that in next week's bulletin. It might be something that will kind of you know, encourage you or make you realize what happened to the 12. And so, but no, no matter what, <clears throat> God is faithful. You know what? The worst that can happen to a believer is that we'd be killed and get in their early entrance into heaven. I'm not, I'm not being ignorant about that either. I mean, what happens to somebody like that? Be faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation chapter 2. May the Lord help us. And maybe we have the right attitude. Even like Daniel did. And even like the apostles, you know, and, and like the three Hebrew children. A lot to think about. We need to pray. We must not give up on our country. Pray for, for, for our nation. Stand for the Lord. Be willing to take the consequences whatever they may be. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we can have in thy word. Thank you for these examples, all of them. Yes, the three that we really emphasized, but also the ones that were kind of not in the headlines. In Hebrews 11, no names mentioned in those, those few verses that we read. And yet they were also faithful and that they were, they were welcomed into thy presence with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. May that be us. Help us to stand. Help us to be faithful. And Lord, we beg you today for our country. We would pray that people would, get, would be saved. I pray that even this day would be a day of many souls saved and, and revival among Christians. We pray for those in authority. And they have, no, they have no idea what their rejection of the gospel is going to mean to them. Eternity in the lake of fire. And we pray that many of them will see the air of their ways and turn to Christ. Be with us now, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 365, and uh, we'll sing a couple of verses. Um, thanks so much for your attention to the word. and. Uh, May the Lord bless us. All right, let's turn 365, and we will just we'll sing a couple, uh, maybe the first and the last. Um, 365. Um, these are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful verses.
Are you able, said the master. Let's you know what, let's sing the first and the second. Verse number two has to do with our attitude towards sinners. And we need to be reminded of what that ought to be. So, verse one, verse two. Are ye able, said the Master, to be crucified with me? Yea,